Thank you, thank you, thank you. Woo, good morning. Well, the good news is the second message was better than the first, so the third is going to be the best of the lot. So I am full of confidence and expectation. Great to be together. So good to see you this morning. And uh, I just want to say, if you've got an empty chair next to you, praise God for the empty chair, because the reason that we're launching a new location is so that we can create space for lost people who don't yet know Christ so they can come and know him. So if you're sitting next to an empty chair, maybe feeling a bit lonely, you're like, you've got some space next to you, just praise God for that space, because this is exactly why we're doing what we've done. You know, as I said last week, ultimately the church exists for people who are not yet part of it. So we are here for those that don't yet know Christ, who aren't yet in the kingdom. And the reason we want to create space is because God's family wants to grow. <laughs> he wants to introduce more people to himself than ever before. And so it's just so good to be together. Uh, I remember years ago when I was in Newcastle, uh, a fiery Welsh preacher called Ben Davies came and visited us in the, in the northeast. And he was so offended by every empty chair in the church that he went around every empty chair and prophesied over every empty chair. And I can't really do a Welsh accent, but I'm going to try. He's like, that empty chair is an offense to the gospel. Be filled in the name of Jesus. And he said it over every single empty chair in the room. So if you're next to an empty chair, just do a Ben Davies and say, you are an offense to the gospel. Be filled in the name of Jesus. You can do it in a Welsh accent if it makes you feel more powerful. <laughs> Well, as Simon said, it's actually so exciting to be here in King's House and just be ready for what God has for us at this location this next season. I'm so confident that we are going to see more of God's blessing than perhaps we've ever seen before. And the truth is, every time you take a step of faith, you know that God is going to show up. Faith always bears fruit. And this is a moment of faith for us where we're trusting God because he's spoken and now we're believing for the fruit. And so we're looking forward to that here at this site. And as, uh, as Simon said, uh, you know, we are living in a worldwide crisis right now where the nations are grappling for a handhold of hope and answer and there's a lot of panic and there's a lot of fear. In fact, I would suggest to you that the world right now is not just battling a virus, it's battling a spirit of fear. Behind what's going on actually is, is another thing which actually could become even more crippling than the fear of getting a, a virus, which is actually we're afraid, we're panicked, the foundations of our lives get shaken and people suddenly think, what am I trusting in? Where is my hope? And I'll suggest to you this in those moments where the church should shine the brightest. Because ultimately those that carry the most hope carry the most influence. Those that carry the most hope carry the most influence. In other words, you are meant to shine in the darkest moments. You know, the scripture says, don't easily throw away your confidence. It's easy to be confident when everything's going well and everything's going smoothly. But how many of you know the church in the darkest moments in the nation should be the one that shines the brightest and says, actually, there is someone else that you can have confidence in and his name is Jesus. I was reading this verse from Proverbs 21, 31. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. What's that saying? It's saying, actually, it's right that you use your wisdom and you prepare well and you do the best that you can do with the resources and the knowledge that you have. You know, wash your hands thoroughly while singing happy birthday twice and God save the queen. You know, shake elbows if you have to rather than hands. Like, listen to advice. Use your wisdom. Get the horse ready. But remember that the victory belongs to the Lord. <laughs> we're doing what we can, but we're trusting God to do what we can't. <laughs> 
because the victory belongs to him. And so in this season, I would suggest to you that when you wake up in the morning, before turning to BBC News, you may want to turn to your Bible, because this is going to be the source and the anchor of your hope. It's going to outlast the news reports of tomorrow and the day after. This is going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. It says it's an anchor for the soul. Where is your anchor? In the news or in God's word? <laughs> So we should approach the news. I think it was Wigglesworth who said, I, 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 I carry two things. I read the news and I read the Bible, but I interpret the news through the Bible. <laughs> so we've got to hold on to the word of God and be a house of hope in this season and listen to the right voice. And uh, that gave me a great opportunity to tell you one of my favorite jokes. So here we go. There was a, a burglar that broke into a house and uh, he had his flashlight on and he was creeping around in the dead of night and he was looking for something valuable to steal and put in his swag bag. And so he's kind of looking around the house and then suddenly he hears a little voice say, Jesus is watching you. And he, he turns his light off and he freezes, thinks, so, who said that? And it's all silent, so he carries on, he puts the torch back on, he carries on looking around the house and then he hears the voice again say, Jesus is watching you. He's like, where is that coming from? And so he shines his torch around the room and suddenly he finds a parrot in a cage in the corner of the room. And he's like, oh, phew, it's just a parrot. So he goes up to the parrot and he's like, oh, you're a pretty boy, aren't you? What's your name? And the parrot says, my name's Moses. <laughs> and the, the burglar says, what a stupid name. What stupid person would call their parrot Moses? And the parrot said, the same stupid person that would call the Rottweiler Jesus. Some of you got that 10 seconds after the punchline. <laughs> it's so important that you and I listen to the right voice. That's the punchline right there. Yeah, you see, there was a link. <laughs> that you and I listen to the right voice. And in this series that we're on, which is called Home, One Church, Two Locations, we're looking at some of the, the key foundations of what it means to be a church community. And one of those foundations is that we are built on the hearing of God's voice. The hearing of God's word. Scripture calls this a prophetic foundation. In other words, this church is not just built on men and women's good ideas, but it's built on following the word of God. It's built on what he says. That's the foundation. Paul says this in Ephesians 2:19. He says, Consequently, church, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Paul here is saying the foundation that you build your life on is vitally important because the depth of the foundation determines the height of the building. How do you build a healthy church? Paul says you've got to build on an apostolic and prophetic foundation. Now, we might cover apostolic foundation another time, but this morning I want to talk about building on a prophetic foundation, building on the words that God says. This is a picture of the tallest building in the world. It's the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, and it stands at 829 meters tall. I mean, that's a big building right there. What's perhaps more impressive, though, is when I read about what went on under the surface. Because under the surface, there is a total of 45,000 cubic meters of concrete, which weighs in excess of 110,000 tons. It took nearly a year just to build the foundation. In other words, if you want to go tall, you've got to go deep. 
And my question for us this morning is, is your life and are our lives together built on a foundation of the prophetic, of what God has said? Because ultimately, that is a firm foundation. This is the way Jesus talked about foundations just brilliantly in Luke 6, 46. He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, be it coronavirus, the Black Death, some other kind of catastrophe, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying the way that you future-proof your life is by building your life on the word of God. You can't predict what's going to happen to you in six months' time, 10 years' time. You cannot predict that. But actually, what you can predict is my life, if it's built on God's word, is going to stand the test of time. And it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at me, what the circumstances of life throw at me. I, my house is going to stand firm because it's built on the right foundation. Is your life built on the right foundation? Is it built on God's words, the things that God has said? And Jesus here says that there's a very clear difference between being a fool and being a wise man. He says someone who's foolish is someone who hears God's voice but then does nothing with it. They're like a man who builds without a foundation. But the wise man hears and puts them into practice. That means that you could know God's word very well up here, but if you're not putting into practice, you have no foundation. <laughs> That's wisdom, says Jesus, that you hear and you obey. You know, James even says this in James 2.19. He says, you say you have faith for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He's saying the same thing, James. He's saying, if you just hear God's word, if you just kind of sign up to a set of beliefs, but you never actually put them into practice, you are foolish and you have no foundation to your life. But the wise man hears and obeys. So the question before us today is, how can we build a strong prophetic foundation in our lives? What can we do to attract the prophetic and build in a way that stewards God's voice well? So here are just a few thoughts. Firstly, you need to recognize that God initiates speaking, but he also responds to our hunger for him. It's a really critical foundation for us to understand that you didn't get into the kingdom because you made a good choice. You got into the kingdom because God chose you. Jesus comes to his own disciples in John 15. He says, listen, you guys did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. Ephesians 1, 3 says that in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In other words, the initiative on you getting saved was on God's end of the equation. Before you had any thought of God, some of you, before you even desired to be saved, actually God stepped onto the page of your life and he said, come on in, Melchizedek, your time is up, my friend. Time to come into the kingdom. It's your moment. It's your moment to come in. And, you know, you may be in this room and you may not yet know Christ. 
And you may think, well, you know, when I'm good and ready, I'll just add Jesus into my life. Well, actually, that's not how it works in the Bible. In the Bible, you find a God who's actually seeking for us, a God who's calling us, a God who's drawing us into relationship with himself. All of us are here by an act of God's mercy. And again, maybe you're here and you think, well, I'm not really that prophetic. This whole talk about prophetic foundation, I don't really hear God. Well, listen, if you're a Christian, you heard God on the most important thing in your whole life, which is to give your life to him. (laughs) All of us have heard him. If you're a Christian, you heard him at one point saying, come in, your number's up. I want you to be mine. God is the great initiator. One uh, man that we were talking to a few years ago in this church was just telling us his story. He was 63-year-old sitting in a coffee shop with his wife, minding his own business. He'd never had any thought about God. He was an atheist. He was a fairly hard man, self-sufficient, had started many businesses, been in the army, kind of grown up with the mantra of grown men don't cry, very kind of stoic, no need of religion, none of that, just sitting in a coffee shop, minding his own business, having a cup of coffee with his wife. And then he hears a voice from behind him suddenly say this, in the middle of nowhere, you need to go to church tomorrow. And he looks behind him, and there is nobody sitting behind him. And he goes home, and the more he thinks about this voice, he thinks, I wonder who that was that was speaking to me. But it was enough to cause him to go to church that very next morning for the first time as a 63-year-old. And as he was sitting in this little Anglican church, the minister began to speak about a wide path that leads to destruction and a narrow path that leads to eternal life. And this man said, I realized in that moment I was on the wrong path. And he gave his life to Christ. You see, God initiates. He can just pluck you out in the middle of a coffee shop where you're not even thinking about God. He's like, no, no, your time's up. Come on in. God speaks. He takes the initiative. But also, we understand this truth, that God's voice, his his prophetic word, he is attracted to people who hunger for his word. He's attracted to people who say, Father, I want to hear your word. I want to hear your voice. That is attractive to God. And that's why, you know, Paul, when he's writing about the prophetic, he says things like this. You should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. It's why Jeremiah, he says this about God's word. He said, when your words came, I ate them and they were my joy and my heart's delight. Can I ask you, friends, is that how you're living? Is that how you're living every day with that sense of your words are my joy and my delight? I just want to hear you, Father. Because I tell you what, you live with an attitude like that, God cannot help himself but speak to you. Because he's magnetically attracted to your hunger for his word. And that's why so often it's in those seasons of our life where we've got big decisions to make, where often we hear God the most. Anybody ever prayed about a big decision in your life? Yeah, those seasons where you're like, you know, do, do I move house? Do I change job? Do I do this? You know, those big moments, moments where we often seek God. And we're like, God, please, would you speak to me? You ever wondered why it is in those seasons that God speaks to you? It's because every day you're waking up with a hunger to hear him. What would life look like if you lived every day like that? Father, your servant is listening. Speak to me. What do you want to say, Father? remember when we were trying to make a decision several years ago about where we should live. We were living in the northeast of England, and we knew that God was calling us to move somewhere else, and we had all sorts of options from Vancouver to Edinburgh to Bedford. And uh, there were all sorts of options on the table. We knew God was calling us somewhere else. And I tell you, every morning I was waking up saying, 
God, what are you saying? I need you to speak to me. And I tell you, he did in so many beautiful ways. I very rarely dream, but I remember one particularly significant dream in that season where I dreamt in, in the night that I was in John Wimber's house. John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement. I've never met him, but I recognized him in the dream. And so he's, John Wimber is showing me around his house in California, and he takes me into his living room, and there I see some friends that I recognize. One of them, called Steph, points directly at me, and he says, Phil, there's a lot of talk about moving to strategic cities, but you need to know Bedford is an incredibly strategic place. That's where he wants you to move. And then I woke up. Now, you've got to be a spiritual dimwit not to kind of recognize that sign. God was like, listen to me, Phil. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, you know, it was that season where I was like, God, I'm hungry to hear you. And he's like, of course you are. I cannot help but respond to that. And here are my words. Here's my direction. Here's my counsel. Are you living that lifestyle? Because I tell you, God loves that. Eagerly desire that you might prophesy, that you might hear his voice. Next thing. Write down the things that God says. This is a very simple thing, but ultimately we all write down the things that are most important to us and we don't want to forget. You know, from the shopping list to the love letter to the Valentine's card to the mortgage statement to the marriage certificate. Like we write down stuff that is important or legal. <laughs> Why then would we not write down the prophetic words that God gives us? <laughs> Why would we not write down the, the words that come from the one who's the most important being in the whole universe and live our lives according to his word, what he said? You know, I remember one of the first verses I learned as a young man being discipled at Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can I, I want to live according to your word. And so I'm going to write it down. And of course, what you have in Scripture are people who heard God and wrote down what God said to them. So much of this book, actually, are people who took the, God's word so seriously that they recorded the things that God said so that they could live their life by them. Now, I'm not saying that our prophetic words have the same authority as Scripture, but this is a principle for us to live by. We live by this principle. When you speak, I'm going to treasure your words. I'm going to write them down so that I can live according to your blueprint for my life. Do you know what your blueprint is from God? Well, start writing down the things that he speaks, no matter how big or how small. Treasure them and read them often. Next, prophetic revelation often comes to us in seed form. See what it says about Abraham, Abraham 11, sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 8, just created a new book of the Bible called Abraham. You can stone me as a heretic afterwards. Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Just think about that verse. Abraham is minding his own business. He's living in an area called the Ur of Chaldees. He's a pagan man. He doesn't know God. And God suddenly speaks. And he's like, Abraham, leave your country and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Now, if I was Abraham, I'd be like, Lord, I just need some supplementary information. Where are we going? <laughs> and God's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to tell you that. I want you to leave, and I'll tell you as you leave. And so Abraham packs up all his belongings, all his servants, all his camels, all his donkeys, and off they go. They leave with no idea, actually, of where they were going. He didn't have the 10-year plan. All he had was revelation in seed form. Abraham, leave. 
and I'll show you the rest as you go. I wonder for some of us if we are stuck because we're waiting for the 10-year plan that tells us everything that we're going to do when actually you already have the seed promised from God. Go, and I'll give you the rest later. That's called trust. If you have all the answers, you have no need to trust God. (laughs) If you have it all, you actually no need to trust God, but actually we walk by faith, not by sight. So, Father, you've given me a promise, and so I'm going to look after what you've given me so that it can grow into something in time. So if you pick up a little apple pip, you wouldn't think that inside that apple pip is an apple tree, but there is. If you will nurture it, water it, plant it in the right soil, put it in the right environmental conditions, and that little apple pip has the DNA to produce something massive and mighty. And that's what God's word is like when he speaks. He gives his promises so often in seed form to see what we'll do with it. Will we plant it? Will we nurture it? Will we water it? Will we tell other people about it? Will we talk to the Lord about it? What will we do when God speaks? Life is contained within God's words if we will look after the things that he said. Again, I told this story before, but I remember when we were uh, young parents and our children were, were very young, we went through a season where our son was waking up every single night with chronic nightmares. He was seeing horrible things in visions in the night and in his dreams. He would wake up scared and crying. And for weeks and months and months, in fact, he just didn't sleep. <laughs> Therefore, neither did we. And we, you know, we prayed, we fasted, we tried every parental trick in the book, and nothing seemed to shift and change. I remember one day just being so desperate. I was like, Lord, please really give me a promise. Please speak to me. And this is what the Lord said. He said, if you will walk around the block for six nights after dinner and pray for the blessing of your neighborhood, then breakthrough will come. That was like God giving me a seed. Now, at that moment, you've got to decide what to do with what God has given you. You could either think, oh, that's a nice thought, and then watch the six o'clock news and not walk around the block. Or you can think, God, I'm going to do something with what you just planted in my life. And so I did, mostly out of desperation. <laughs> I was like, okay, God, I'm willing to give this a go. And so for six nights, I walked around the block after dinner and just prayed for the blessing of our neighborhood. And on night six, Sam had another nightmare. He woke up in the middle of the night, and I thought, oh, no, it hasn't worked. But then on night seven, he didn't wake up. And in the morning, we're chatting over breakfast, and we're like, Sam, you didn't wake up last night. What happened? And he said, well, I woke up in the middle of the night. I had another terrible dream. And he said, but I remembered what you said, that when I feel afraid, I should ask God to help me. So he said, I prayed. And then I heard God's audible voice from behind my curtain saying, Sam, I want you to think of me. And he said, so I did. And I went to sleep. And that was the end of nightmares. It was the end of sleepless nights. How did that happen? You take the little apple pip and you water it and it grows into something as you partner with God. We're not called to be faithless. We're actually called to fight the good fight with the prophecies made about us. Next, revelation is fueled by the declarations we make. Here is an amazing truth. You and I are made in the image and likeness of God. Praise God for the dolphins and the lions and the seahorses and the tadpoles and all the beautiful things in God's creation. But what you have that they do not have is that you are made in the image of God. There is something about you 
that uniquely reflects something about him in many, many different ways. But in one, of, one way in particular, I want to draw attention to this morning, and it's this, the power of your words. Think about the power of God's words. Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when God speaks, he creates things. Hebrews 1 also says this, God sustains all things by the power of his Let's try that again. God sustains all things by the power of his word. word. Yeah, sustains all things by the power of his word. So God's words intrinsically create things and sustain things. Because you are made in the image of God, your words also create and sustain things. The question is, what are your words creating and sustaining? You don't create literal galaxies, but I tell you, you create spiritual ecosystems all around you by the words and the thoughts that you allow in your head. And what happens is when your words and your thoughts don't come into line with what God has said prophetically, you start to create an ecosystem in which the prophetic can't come about because you're enabling the wrong reality. Because ultimately, all of fear is faith in the wrong reality. See, if a little kid were to come up to me this morning and say, Phil, I'm going to beat you up. I would look at the little kid and think, no, I don't believe you. I'm not at all scared by that. But if a six foot seven bruiser with tattoos and like, you know, boxing gloves came up to me and said, Phil, I'm going to beat you up. I'd be scared. Why? Because I believe him. So where does all fear come from? Fear is belief in the wrong reality. But faith actually looks at God's promises and says, I'm going to bring my words, my thoughts into line with what you now say is true to enable the right reality in my life. Proverbs 18.21 says an amazing, it's just a little verse, but it says this, that the power of life and death is in the tongue, which means that the most powerful instrument you possess in your life is this, how you use your words, the thoughts you think in your head, in fact, James 3 says that your words can set your whole course of your life on fire if you don't bring them into line with God's word. You can shipwreck your whole life if you don't get this into line with this. You enable the wrong reality if you don't marshal your thoughts to get into line with God's thoughts about you and say, because you said it, I believe it. The question is, what reality are you empowering in your life? You know, God has chosen you and spoken to you about being a giant slayer and yet you're walking around thinking I'm just a loser I'm never going to amount to anything guess what you're empowering the wrong reality you need to bring your thoughts into line with God's words no no he says I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus that's now true of me so what are you thinking I suggest for some of us there's a time actually where you need to stop praying and start declaring you know, sometimes you get to your prayer time, you're like, I'm just so full of fear. God, please take away my fear. Sometimes there's a time to stop kneeling and start standing and say, I am not full of fear. I'm not going to live a life afraid because I know who my God is. Start declaring. Just read Psalm 27, for example. There's 14 verses and only three of them are Godward prayers. The other 11 are all declarations like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? My enemies will stumble and fall. Not maybe, not perhaps, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. What declarations are you making to empower God's word to become true in your life? A little while ago in our staff team, uh, PJ provoked us to write our own declarations about our lives. 
and provoked us with this question, where are the areas in your life that you need to stand and not just kneel? So I wrote down four declarations in my own life. I'll just read them quickly to you. First one was about sickness. This is what I wrote. I declare that our lives will be defined by the Father's blessing in our bodies and not by sickness or pain. I declare that everything the enemy has intended for harm, the Father will turn for good. I declare that Carol and I will live fruitfully, healthily, and strong into our older years, and that our family legacy will be of peace and healing. For every year lost in ill health, I declare that the Lord will repay back to us and our children. Secondly, was about mental health. I declare that the mental health in our wider family will not be defined by suicide, depression, or anxiety, but will instead be one of clarity, joy, and peace. I declare that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds and that any curse against us is broken by the power of Jesus' blood and the crown of thorns that he wore. His blood makes our minds whole and healed in Jesus' name. The next one was about finances. I declare that we will have more than enough in every season of life and that we will want for nothing in any area of material blessing. I declare that we will be able to leave a legacy to our children and our grandchildren and that God would richly increase what we have so that it can bless more and more people. We will live radically generous and be aware of God's extravagant goodness all the time. And then here's the fourth one, and this was a particular lie that I battle about being a substitute, and this is what it says. I declare that I will fulfill every good work planned by God for me, and I will not live with a subservient substitute mentality, but that I will stand in confidence, courage, and happiness, and awareness of the Father's pleasure in me. Where do you need to stand at the moment, not just kneel? Where do you need to say, I'm bringing my words and my thoughts into agreement with what God has said. Because when you do that, you create a fertile environment for the right things to be created and sustained. And then lastly, we're going to come into some ministry in just a moment. God wants us to partner with him for his promises in prayer. Ultimately, we are not fatalists who receive promises from God and think, oh, that's nice. I'll just sit back and enjoy that. No, no. Actually, when God gives you a promise, it's for a reason, that you might then join him as a partner and pray into being the promises that he's given you. Do you know what? God has promised us incredible things as a church. He said that we would see miracles that are unprecedented in the whole of this county. Well, Father, would you please do what you've promised to give us? You know, we are praying for the eradication of homelessness in our town. We have a promise. So what do we do? We don't just sit back and enjoy it. We say, Father, would you eradicate homelessness in our town? We have great and precious promises from God. And the idea of every promise God's give you is that you might stand and say, Father, will you let it be as you said to us? Let your word come about in Jesus' name. Because you are not just pawns, you are partners. You're partners with God. Your prayers make a difference. So this is how we build a healthy church. This is how the building is going to grow tall and big and more and more influential is by digging deeper into the very words of God and building on a prophetic foundation. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Charlene now.